would love to know what coffee that guy's drinking because I want that, whatever that level of caffeine, if it's jet fuel, I don't know what it's called, but that's, that's what I need. Uh, but that idea of taking the American dream of just making money and getting stuff and trading that in and saying, I'm going to partner, I'm going on mission with my Lord Jesus to make this world a better place. And there's nothing uh, better that we can do with the 70 or 80 or 90 years that God gives us on this earth. Amen? Amen. So we're going to be traders. Hey, I want to talk to you guys. Uh, we're going through this series in the book of Acts. It's called On Fire, the Early Followers of Jesus. Uh, the book of Acts covers the first 30 years of the history of the church, beginning from the time that Jesus met with his disciples for 40 days after he had ra been raised from the dead, and then he ascends into heaven. And I want to remind you guys, the Bible trivia question of the day was, what? were the last words of Jesus right before he ascended into heaven. Anybody remember that? Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it is the key verse for understanding the entire book of Acts. It is uh, the words of Jesus, and he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So that's what Jesus was telling the disciples to do. That's what they did. He said, go back to Jerusalem and wait and pray for the Holy Spirit. They did. The Holy Spirit was poured out. Uh, Ten days later, the church began. It went from 120 people to 3,000 people believed Peter's message that day. They believed they were baptized into Christ. They joined the new church, and the church began, and it was flourishing. And now we get down to Acts chapter 5. It, the previous chapter, there was some persecution. There was pressure from the Jewish high council and the authorities. They did not like what Peter and John were speaking and teaching in the name of Jesus. They felt like he was laying the guilt of Jesus' death and crucifixion on them, which he was. And they felt it, and they wanted to shut him up. And so they told him, don't speak anymore about in the name of Jesus. And Peter said, ha, you judge between yourselves whether you want us to obey God or whether we should obey you. We're going to obey God. We cannot stop speaking about the things that we have seen and heard. And then last week we saw this praying and generous church where they were loving each other, they were taking care of each other's needs. Uh, when persecution happened from the outside, they went to the Lord together in prayer first, and they saw miraculous answers to prayer, and the church was blessed. So we saw persecution from the outside. Now today, unfortunately, we're going to have to look at a problem and a, uh, an issue that came up to the church from the inside. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 5. We're going to be talking I'm on this message about overcoming internal problems in the church or my little nickname for this message, lying in the chapel, lying in the chapel. It's not an Elvis song. Uh, I, just, I just listened to that song last night, by the way, and he says he, he, he saw me crying in the chapel, and they were tears of joy. But in this case, it was Peter who saw someone lying in the chapel, and the tears he cried, they were not tears of joy at all. How common is lying these days? Well, it's a problem in our society. Would you not agree? Lying is a problem. 58% of employers say that they have caught people 
trying to get jobs who are lying on their resume. One study showed that the average person in America, and this is the average, one person showed the average person in America lies once or twice a day. The number one lie for single men, all you ladies want to know this, number one lie for single men, I'll call you. I'll call you. Do not always believe it. In the old days, the lie used to be the check is in the mail. Oh, what about the lie? You're late for a meeting and you say, oh man, you arrive there late for a meeting or an appointment or something. You say, oh man, I'm so sorry. The traffic was just terrible. Was it really terrible? Uh, or, you're, or you text, you know you're going to be late and it's two minutes before you're supposed to be there and you know it's a 10 minute drive to get there. And so you say, almost there, on my way in the text. That's uh, not exactly telling the truth, is it? An official lie is more than just responding to the question. So somebody, somebody asked you the question, Mike did it in the first service, and he said, hey, good morning, everybody, how are you? And most of the time you hear good or I'm fine. Whether we were fine or whether we were good or not, we basically say the answer because we know it's not really a conversation, it's just sort of a greeting. So there's a difference between that kind of a lie and, a, and a really an, an official lie. What is an official lie? Well, it is something when you're actually trying to mislead somebody. You're actually trying to convey a false impression about reality or about yourself. Why do people lie? Well, they say the number one reasons why people lie, they're either, we're either trying to get out of trouble we find ourselves in a trouble spot, we lie to try to get out of the trouble, or we don't want to be punished, and so we lie to avoid punishment. And we have to realize in America, de deception is just rampant out there. Dece deception and, and lying is rampant out in the world there, and I'm so glad that in God's house, in this sanctuary, in the, in the church, that lying just basically doesn't exist. I mean, I'm so glad that we treat each other and we speak nothing but honesty and truth in God's house, right? Oh, really? We're going to see that that's not always the case. It certainly wasn't the case in the early years of the church there in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 5, we begin with this. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property... He brought part of the money, notice that word part, he brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount, and with his wife's consent, he kept the rest. So this was something that they were doing together. You know, and it's, in marriage classes, you always hear that husband and wife, they need to be on the same page. But in this case, it was not a good thing that they were on the same page because they were agreeing to lie and deceive uh, the apostles and God's people with the gift that they had given to the church. So contrast this, this, this line and deception over here. Contrast it with another man who was mentioned in the church just the previous few verses. If you back up to Acts chapter 4 in the end, it talked about God's church being a wonderful place. There were probably over 15,000 people in the church by this time, and yet the scripture says there were no needy persons among them. Can you believe that? No needy persons among a crowd of 15,000 plus people. The only way that could happen is if God's people were very generous and giving with their resources. In fact, it gave an example of somebody who was very generous with his resources. His name was Joseph. Of course, we don't know him as Joseph. We know him by his nickname, which is Barnabas. Barnabas means the son of encouragement, and I hope you have a Barnabas in your life. 
One guy said everybody in their life, they need, they need three people in their life. They need to have a Paul, they need to have a Barnabas, and they need to have a Timothy. And I don't have time to explain what that means. But you need to have those three kinds of people in your life. So Barnabas is a man and he sees the needs in the church and he knows that he has this property over on the island of Cyprus, which is this giant island in the southern Mediterranean, south of Greece, and he's got this property. So he goes and he sells that property and takes the full price of the sale of the property and he gives it to the apostles, he gives it to the church and he says, use it for whatever needs there are. And I'm sure everybody in the church who knew about it or heard about it they all were like, wow, Barnabas, that was awesome. What an amazing gift. Boy, the Lord is sure with you. We are so proud of you. We are, we are just blessed to know you, Barnabas. You're an amazing brother in Christ and a generous man. And I would imagine that this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, I would imagine they were in the church service and they saw all, this, all of the, uh, the glad handing and the back slapping that Barnabas received for, for his generosity if people knew about it. And so they got, in this, they got this idea, hey, you know what? We've got a piece of property. We can sell it too. We can, we can take what God has given us and he's blessed us with this and we want to give, give it to the church too, just like Barnabas because look how, look how everybody just loves him. We, love, we would love for everybody to treat us the way that they were treating Barnabas. And somewhere along the way, after they sell the property, they both get this idea, well, you know what? Boy, that's a lot of money we got for that property. Do we really have to give all of it to God? Can we just keep some of it back for ourselves? Yeah, as a matter of fact, we can. As a matter of fact, we will. But if anybody wants to know or anybody asks, hey, we're giving 100% of the sale price of this property. We're giving the whole thing to God. Nobody needs to know that we're keeping some of it back for ourselves. That's what was going on in the church. That was the lie that they were, that they were telling. That was the deception among God's people. And Peter, being an apostle of Christ, the Holy Spirit let him know supernaturally by prophetic revelation, these guys are lying. These guys are deceiving. And so Peter says to Ananias, he says, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. So in other words, it's like saying, here was the sale price of the, uh, of the house or the property, whatever it was on this property. You had, the, the property was yours. Nobody was twisting your arm. This wasn't communism. This wasn't some cult. This wasn't some, if you want to be a part of our church, you have to sell and give everything you have and just hand the keys over to the church. We talked about that last week. Giving is voluntary in God's church. It's not a requirement to be part of God's family. You don't have to do it. It's something that you want to do because you want to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And so, you didn't have to sell that property, Ananias, and, but you also didn't have to lie to the church. And to God, this is a, a very serious thing you were doing. And so he says, how could you do a thing like this? You are not lying to us, but to God. You're not lying to us, but to God. Now, I, I want to take a brief theological timeout, and I want to talk to you about the Trinity. I want to talk to you about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because it says right here in these verses, it says, Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? 
you are not lying to us, but to God. And then later on in the verse, it's uh, Peter's talking to Ananias' wife, Sapphira, and he says, why did you test the Spirit of the Lord? So we have these three phrases for God. You're lying to God. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. You're lying to the Spirit of the Lord. Well, who's the Lord? That's Jesus. So the Spirit of the Lord It's sort of calling it the Holy Spirit. So I thought I'd just take a quick time out, talk about the Trinity, where we have these two words, try, is that, that's three. (laughs) I I was doing this, I said, you're not holding up three, are you? So, So three, you have three plus the unity of God. And so three in one. In fact, we sing a song. I hope you, if you're visiting with us uh, or you're a guest in our church, we sing this song called We Believe. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Christ the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one, right? There's the easiest definition of the Trinity. Although the Trinity, if somebody ever asks you this, he says, is that word Trinity in the Bible? I've read the Bible and I don't see the word Trinity. Don't let him trip you up on that. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. It's a, it's a word that was invented to try to understand this complex unity that is God. That within the deity, there's these three personalities. There's Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Now, the, now, the easiest human definition that I can give this, the best definition I ever heard, I, I'll say, or analogy, the best analogy that I ever heard to try to understand the Trinity of how can God be three in one at the same time is if you have this substance that is all around us, our bodies are 70% of this, the earth is covered by 75% of this, it's called water. Chemically, it's called, in the molecules, it's H2O, please don't let me get too deep into the science because I'll get in over my head. But I know molecularly, it is H2O, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. It's very common among us. It's common in our own bodies. So we have this water. But we also know that at different temperatures, water takes on three different states, does it not? If you drop down to sea level and it's 32 degrees, the liquid water becomes a solid. It becomes ice. But does the chemical H2O change when the liquid becomes a solid? No, it does not. And when you, when you go back up to 32 degrees, like someday we'll have around here when spring comes. Sorry, I'm from Southern California. Uh, when, when, when the water gets, uh, continues to heat and goes way past 32 degrees Fahrenheit and it gets all the way up to 212 degrees, that liquid turns into steam. And is it not still water? Is it not still H2O? So you have a solid ice, you have liquid water, and you have a vapor steam, and yet it's all the same chemical. That, that is the best analogy I ever heard for God. Now, there's always limitations when it comes to humans trying to say, I'm going to tell you exactly what God is like, because the finite cannot completely define God who is infinite. But that's the easiest definition, humanly speaking, that I've ever seen for God, being three people and one at the same time. I'll give you one other analogy. Let's talk about us, yeah? This is good for any narcissist out there, because the narcissist would even be in conversation with somebody, and the narcissist says, all right, all right, enough talking about me. Let's stop talking about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think of me? Okay, so there's an art. So let's talk about us. Each of us has a human body, and each of us also has a spirit that animates our body. 
Now, which part of that is us? Which part of that is you if you are just one person? But I have a body and I have a spirit. And when this spirit that animates my body, when this spirit is separated from my body, we call that physical death. And that's why Paul said, I would rather be at, we would rather be at home in the body than away from the body and at home with the Lord, right? So Paul says, when, when we go to be home with the Lord, we're going to be absent from this body, right? So Paul knew the separation of the spirit from the body itself. But which part of, the, of, which part of those two are you? Or are they both you, right? You have a spirit and you have a body and yet there's only one you. If we human beings can be sort of two-dimensional... Why is it so difficult to imagine that almighty, infinite, all-powerful God would be three-dimensional? So there we have the Trinity. It's as good as I can do. Please forgive me if it falls short. Now let's go back to the story. Because Peter says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit, Ananias. You haven't just lied to men. You've lied to God. And for some reason, at this point in the history of the church, Early on in the first few years of the existence of God's community, the Holy Spirit was not going to allow this kind of corruption to come in to Christ's body, the church. He was not going to let that deception stand. And so there was a judgment that was falling on this. Jesus, you know, if you ask the question, okay, what was the real sin here? What was the real wrongdoing of Ananias and Sapphira. It certainly was not their attempted generosity. It certainly was not the gift. The gift could have been an ama- gift could have been thousands of dollars of a gift to God. So it certainly wasn't the gift that was the sin. The sin was in the deception. The sin was when trying to create this false impression that, that I am, you know, all to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. To God, we just sang a song earlier. I, uh, to the God, uh, I who gave it all? I give my all. All to him I, I surrender because God gave it all for me. And we sing that song. Well, Ananias and Sapphira were on their way to doing that. And then somewhere on the way, Satan came in and he's the tempter. And as the tempter, he says, you know what? You don't have to give. Do you, do you have to give 100% of that to God and to the church? No, you don't. You can give some of it away and you can keep some of it for yourself but you can tell everybody that that was the price that you gave. And Jesus, if you notice in the Gospels, when you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Jesus is ever being hypercritical of any single person, it's usually against the religious leaders of his day. And the thing that Jesus is criticizing and railing against the most is their hypocrisy, is their two-facedness, is their idea that they're saying one thing and they're doing another. They're trying to create this image of who they are, but in their hearts, they're really not that way at all. And Jesus railed against hypocrisy when he was walking the earth, and now the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is, is now uh, not going to tolerate what was going on in the church there. For some reason, the Holy Spirit of God in those early days of the church decided that this particular sin was not just sad, it wasn't just regret- regrettable, this sin was intolerable. And he was going to bring some severe discipline on this hypocritical couple. And so what happened? Verse 5, as soon as Ananias heard these words, you've not lied to men but to God, Ananias fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Can you imagine this really happening in the church? 
and Peter's up there talking to somebody, and maybe they can't. There's no amplification system. So you're in the back of the church, and you don't exactly know what's happening. And Peter's talking to this guy, and you can see Peter's kind of agitated, and the guy's looking a little sheepish, a little guilty. And the next thing you know, the guy just goes, and he falls on the floor. And it says, and everyone was terrified. And then some young men got up and wrapped Ananias in a sheet and took him out and buried him. You know, I want you to notice something here too. The judge and the jury on this case was not Peter. God was the judge and jury. Peter didn't even ask God to do this. Peter didn't say, Lord, kill him. Peter didn't say anything. Peter probably would have said, hey, I failed in my life many times. I denied I knew the Lord Jesus three times on the night he was arrested. So who am I to talk? Peter was probably ready to extend mercy, but God the Holy Spirit said, no, we're not going to tolerate hypocrisy. We're not going to tolerate lying and deception in this church right now. Right now, this church, inside our walls, in our own community, we need to stay pure, and we need to reverence a holy God. You've heard the term slain in the Spirit in church? Wow, is this, a, is this like a weird, severe example of that? I mean, do you really think the death penalty was warranted for, quote, lying in the chapel? Put up this slide here, and I, and I wrote it this way because I wanted to remind you guys that this is, this is what the real sin was. Lying Ananias and his lying wife Sapphira are examples of people who attempted to use financial generosity as a means of boosting their own reputation in the church. The truth was, Ananias could have sold the property or not sold it. It was his choice. What he did with his own private property, that was his decision. And, what, and when he and his wife did sell the property, it was their decision what they were going to do with their money. So what, what had happened wasn't the giving of itself. It was the lying of it. God might have tolerated their stinginess. God might have even tolerated that. Fine. You want to sell the property and give half to the church and keep half to yourself? That's fine. I think God would have totally tolerated, but he was not going to tolerate their lying and their hypocrisy. So Peter says... You've not lied to men, you've lied to God. And Ananias fell over dead. Now, before Ananias died, can you imagine Ananias maybe saying something like this? Well, Peter, it wasn't me, it was the devil. The devil made me do it. The devil made me lie. The devil made me deceive. I, the, I, it wasn't even me, it was the devil doing it. Question for us today can the devil make you do something like that? Can the devil make you make a moral decision like Ananias made? Here's the truth about the devil. Because when Jesus was baptized and the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert. He was tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And when the devil is described at first, when the devil first approached Jesus, it said the tempter the tempter came to Jesus and he said, if you are the son of God, then turn these stones into bread, right? So the devil is the tempter. The devil cannot make us sin. What happens with sin is we have these desires. Some of them are good desires. Some of them are evil desires within, of it, within each of us. And your evil desires may be a different flavor, a different brand than mine, but we all have them. And when our evil desires are given this opportunity to do something, there's where the temptation comes in. Satan comes in. He knows us pretty well. 
And he looks at our, us and our weaknesses and he says, oh, this is where they are weak. I'm going to tempt them to do something based on that weakness. And so he will try to get them to sin. Maybe the, maybe the common desire was greed in Ananias and Sapphira. Maybe the common desire was, I just, I just want to be loved and respected by people in the church, only I don't really want to sacrifice that much to get there. So whatever it was, Satan tempted them and they listened to the temptation, and they gave in to the temptation. And when that desire mixed with that opportunity, the conception was sin. And that's what happened. And Peter said, you've not lied to men but to God. The Bible tells us when that temptation happens, it says resist the devil, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So do we have to give in to the temptation? Do we have to say the devil made me do it? No, we do not. God holds us responsible for our own selfish moral choices, and He's certainly holding Ananias responsible. That was a big deal to God. This lying, the hypocrisy, the Holy Spirit said, no, not in, not in this community, not right now, not when we're still forming the early DNA values of this church. And so now his wife, three, three hours later, her husband's dead, and uh, Sapphira doesn't even know. She, I don't know where she was, out in the marketplace, buying some pita bread, who knows. But she comes back into the church three hours later, and Peter asks her the question, say, hey, Sapphira, uh, that gift that Ananias and you gave, um, was, was the gift that you gave the same? Was that the selling price of the property? And she looks at him boldface, straight in the eye, and she says, yes, it was. And Peter says, oh, boy, I gave you a chance I tried to let you come clean. I tried to let you be honest. But Peter finally says to her, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. Is this a fun message? Are you glad you came to church today? I am. It's like, wow, dying in church, lying and dying in the chapel. This is not a fun message to talk about, but it's important because God put it there in his word to give us a, a, a flavor for what was going on inside the church and to give us a perspective to how important it is to God and to the Holy Spirit that we maintain purity and uprightness and honesty and no deception and no corruption or hypocrisy in the church. Amen? That's what God wants for our church today. So the reaction was, can you imagine being a, a member of that church? Two people died possibly right in front of you. And it says, great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who had heard what had happened. Yeah, no kidding. Great fear gripped the entire church. You know what? You know what the message was? You better think twice about messing with God's church. You better consider carefully if you think you can fool God. You know, there's this phrase, and it says, you can fool some of the people all the time. You can fool all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all of the time. And the caveat to that is with God, you can't fool God none of the time. 
right? You can't, you, because wherever you go, God is. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows all things. There's no place. David talks in, I think it's in Psalm 139, where he says, if I go over here, can I escape from you, Lord? If I hide in the deepest cave, if I go to the bottom of the ocean, if I go to the farthest mountain, can I get away from you? And the answer is no, because God is everywhere. God knows all things. He knows what we're doing, and he knows our motives as well. And the beauty of the grace of God is he knows everything about us and he loves us anyway. But what he wants us to do is he says he wants us to be honest. He wants us to be real. He wants us to be authentic. He doesn't want there to be any of this deception or hypocrisy or faking each other out with our phony spirituality. He just wants us to be honest. Have you ever heard the song uh, on Caleb Radio or some other place called If We're Honest? It's a song by Francesca Battistelli. Francesca Battistelli. Doesn't that sound like an Italian restaurant? I'm, I'm thinking ravioli right now. Francesca Battistelli wrote this song, If We're Honest, and she says these words, Truth is harder than a lie. The dark seems safer than the light. And everyone has a heart that loves to hide. I'm a mess, and so are you. And we've built walls nobody can get through. Yeah, it may be hard, but the best thing we could ever do is to bring your brokenness and I'll bring mine. Because love can heal what hurt divides. And mercy is waiting on the other side. If we're honest. If we're honest. I think that's what God's calling us to do. I think he wants us to be honest he certainly blessed the judgment of dishonesty in the church because the Bible continues in that chapter in Acts 5 and it says, and the church just kept on growing and God kept on blessing it and God kept on pouring out miraculous signs and wonders through the apostles and more and more people. In fact, it even says in verse 14, it says, crowds of people were coming to the Lord and great fear seized everyone and nobody messed with the church. They had their own place over in the temple area called Solomon's Colonnade and nobody messed with them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Peter walking down the road, somebody coming down the other side? Whoa, watch out, man. Give him a wide berth. That's Peter. Don't mess with that guy. Things could happen. What are our action points for today? What does God want us to learn and put into practice from reading about this story? First of all, number one, holy God takes sin seriously. Sin is not, it's not a peccadillo. I think a peccadillo is a Texan word, a Spanish word, which means a little sin, a little peccadillo. It's, not, it's just a little white lie. It's just a little deception. It's just a little, to God, there is no little sin. God takes sin seriously. He's holy. This is another reason why I believe in the Christian faith, because I do not believe mankind would have ever invented a God like we worship. We never would have invented a holy God who is morally perfect, completely upright, and righteous in everything that he does, because that would only remind us how far short we fall of a God like that. We never would have invented a God like that. God revealed himself to us as holy and as just and as love. But God is holy and he takes sin seriously enough that Jesus had to die on a cross to cover our sins. Number two, reverence for God is healthy. 
Believe it or not, reverence for God is healthy. Another word for reverence is fear. Fear in a good way. Fear like I respect you too much to mess with you. Bible, it doesn't say in the Bible, but it, there's a phrase that says, fear God and you will have nothing else to fear. Fear God and you will have nothing else to fear. It's actually healthy to have reverence for God in our lives. Point number three in our action points. A healthy church takes care of its problems. A healthy church takes care of its problems. We do not sweep them under the rug. We do not pretend that they don't exist. We do not look the other way. We do not say, well, everybody's doing it. If there is sin and it is affecting the health and the body life of the church, that sin has to be addressed. A healthy church takes care of its problems. And when a healthy church does, point number four, then a healthy church takes care of its problems, that healthy church flourishes. It keeps on growing because there's now honesty and integrity, and this becomes a safe place socially to be. People can be real. People can be imperfect, like we know we're all imperfect, but God's love can still flow through us and in us, and we can still all be committed to following Jesus despite all of our flaws and despite all of our warts and our weaknesses, and we can let the grace of God fill each one of us. Amen? And that's how Acts 5 ends. Acts chapter 5 ends. We're ending our On Fire series this week. It ends with the church just continue to grow and flourish. It continued to grow and flourish because God was honoring His people. They were honoring Him. When He said, go and be my witnesses, they were going to be His witnesses. When they asked Him to pour out miraculous signs to confirm the truth of who Jesus was, He did, and miracles happened, and God's church continued to grow. And that's what's going to happen in our lives. That's what's going to happen in this church, in this community. When we honor God, and we are honest, and we're authentic, and we're real, and we know we're not perfect, but we take care of our problems, and we fear a holy God, it's going to be attractive, and people are going to come join us, and they're going to believe like we believe that Jesus really is the Messiah. And when we see a church like that in this community, we're also going to see a church that is on fire. God, help us to be more like them. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, if, if we are honest with you and in our heart of hearts, we know that you know. You know us. You know our character. You know our motivations for why we do what we do. You know how we compare ourselves to others. You know how desperately want, we want to love and be loved. We want to be accepted. We want to be thought well of. Lord, help us to have the integrity. Help us to have the character that would match that level of influence or leadership that you put us here in this church. Help us to be real. Help us as a church body to be just open and authentic with each other and saying, you know, I'm not perfect and I've got a lot of flaws, but please don't throw me away because God's not finished with me yet. Lord, help us to remember that we are all under construction and Sometimes it seems to happen faster than at other times, but Lord, we recognize that you are always at work in us and within us to shape us and to mold us 
to chip away at those rough edges in our lives and to help us to become more and more like your son, Jesus. Lord, help us to be real with you and real with each other and help us to cooperate with you in that transformation process. We pray your blessing on us as we go today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, guys, we're going to stand, and I'm going to give you guys a benediction. It's kind of a short one, and I hope you remember and take it in the right way, but let's go out this week. Let's go out in the rain. Let's go out and among ourselves in the, in the church gatherings, in your life groups, in these women's gatherings, someday in the men's gatherings, uh, let's have... Let's have a great, honest, truth-telling, authentic week with one another. Amen? Amen. 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 God bless you all. Amen. Not even distance. You guys can do, Mike, you guys can do instrumental. That's fine. Just instrumental. All right. We're done. Dismissed. All right, guys. Let's go. Let's do a little bit of this. Nobody, nobody wants to leave. Hello. How are you? Good. Who am I that you are mindful of me? Everybody, great job today. Fantastic job, everybody.